previously on Misfortune. I, I was hoping you just kind of give me a rundown on the surface version of your childhood and life. Um, well, it wasn't fun. He would say, you know, I want mom to tell me, and I know she knows something, and, and I'd say, Daryl, you know, when it comes time, you'll find out who your dad is. When we get to eat, I'd like to show you what I'm, what, just at least what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, yeah. um... No, I, I think I get it. I, uh... I, I just don't believe it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's obvious, I know. You're not here to believe it, you're just here to write the story. <laughs> and a good one it's gonna be, because it'll be found one day. Good to see you. You too. How are you? <laughs> in May of 2019, I met Daryl in Bozeman, Montana. It's one of the closest airports to Yellowstone. This was my first search trip in three years. It would also turn out to be my last. Daryl, on the other hand, had never stopped. Yeah. So how many how many times have you been back? I sort of lost track, but I'm definitely 54, 55. Really? Maybe 60. Okay. In three years, even after moving across the country, Daryl had traveled to Yellowstone between 40 and 50 times. But even after all those trips, in a lot of ways, he was right where I'd left him. So you know the F on the Aspen tree? Yeah. It really does take you to the exact spot. He still thought Forrest Fenn was talking to him directly. He was still obsessing over an F carved into an aspen tree that looked a lot like the curves of the Lamar River. Yeah, my spot, and there's a drawing within that F that matches 100%. Uh-huh. 100%. But... The main so, thing I remember from that drive from Bozeman to Yellowstone was this sinking feeling. When I left Daryl to hunt on his own, I think in the back of my mind, I thought he would come around. That he'd keep solving clues instead of waiting for secret messages. But he'd been wandering basically the same square mile of Yellowstone ever since I'd last seen him. The only thing that had changed was now I had my own ideas about where the treasure was. And I needed Daryl to help me look. See, there's Walmart's here. Do we need, do you need anything from there at all? Um, I was thinking about grabbing some snacks. Yeah, just food. But then he told me a story that changed everything I thought I knew about Daryl and the treasure hunt and what we were doing out here. And nothing was ever the same after that. This is Missed Fortune, an Apple original podcast from High Five Content, 30 Minutes West, and Outside Magazine. I'm Peter Frickwright. Before there was a Fen treasure to find, Daryl spent much of his life consumed by a different search, looking for his dad. Remember, growing up, Daryl never knew his father, didn't even know his name. But not for lack of trying. In a lot of ways, finding his dad was Daryl's first treasure hunt. I mean, I interviewed anybody that I thought might have known him 
um, from stories from my mom, my aunts, um, anybody. I mean, even as a police officer, I'm running, you know, I have a database where I can run all kinds of things. And um, But if you don't have a right name, it doesn't matter what you have, right? Daryl's last name, Siler, comes from the guy who married his mom, thinking he had gotten her pregnant, Bill Siler. But as soon as Daryl was born, it was pretty obvious that he was not the child of two white parents. To his undelightful surprise when I was born, I, you know, I had this tan. Bill stuck around a few years, but Daryl doesn't remember much about him. What he does remember is that enough of his family was ashamed of his skin color that Daryl was hidden away when people came over, left at home for Christmas get-togethers. He was rejected. So he started daydreaming about finding the black side of his family and going to live with them. Started making finding his real dad the answer to all of his problems. He even started bugging his mom to tell him who he was. But she wouldn't. Because I can remember like it was yesterday, you know, when I was five years old, my mom telling me this story. And then I remember I was nine or ten, and it was a different story. And I remember comparing those stories going, okay, um, she's not telling the truth. In one version, Daryl's dad had been a drug dealer. In another, a doctor. Third time, a police officer. No two stories were the same. <laughs> no, no two stories were the same. So my early attempts, you know, um, were just seeing if she might slip up or tell me the truth one day. When she didn't slip up and Daryl grew up a little bit, he got more proactive. I can remember um, even sometimes looking at things in her purse or mail, just thinking um, I might find something that might have it in it, as, as ridiculous as that is. He never got anywhere with that stuff. All he had was asking his mom. And she didn't like talking about it. And in some ways, Daryl's persistent curiosity about his dad and the way he put this other family up on a pedestal must have felt like rejection. But eventually, she threw out a few names. I remember um, she saying, well, his name was Daryl. And uh, I sat there for a second and I blew up. I said, you know, you need to quit lying. And as soon as I said that word lying, oh, she went into a rage. You know, got my face. You say I'm fucking lying. I said, yeah, well, how would you name if this guy raped you or was a drug dealer and all this other stuff? Why would you name me um, after him? <laughs> oh, and then she said, oh, maybe his name was Daniel. At a certain point, sometime in his 40s, Daryl gave up. He decided that he was never going to find his dad, and he'd be happier if he let it go. As a kid, as a teenager, as a police officer, I did everything I could to try to find out who my dad was. And because of my mom not being honest, I never thought that I would know who he ever was. And I was resigned to die never knowing. But there's a difference between giving up, which he did, and losing interest, which he did not. And in 2017, he had a breakthrough, almost by accident. My sister um, got me to join Ancestry. Um, and I did. 
Ancestry.com is a genealogy website that uses historical records and DNA samples to piece together family trees, tell you about your history. But Daryl really wasn't expecting much from it. Even when I did the Ancestry thing, I thought they were going to tell me that, okay, yeah, um, you know, your family tree comes from you know, this part of Africa and, you know, on the white side, it comes from this part of Europe. But it actually came back with this, these little hints that sort of like treat up to this particular uh, family. That the family's name was, name was Cannon. So we started looking at all the men in his family tree and thinking through all the names his mother had given him over the years. Only one of them sounded familiar. And then once I looked him up online, and, and saw him, you know, he's a carbon copy of me. I said, wow, that's him. When he found his father on the internet, Daryl learned the thing he'd wanted to know forever. His father's name was Maynard Cannon. And his reaction to reading that and seeing a picture of him, his reaction came in waves. The first feeling was pure joy and relief. Man, it was, um, it was, you know, it had been 52 years of not knowing, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at this guy who was my father. But inside that joy and relief was regret. His dad had passed away in 2010. Daryl never got to meet him. Maybe more painful was the fact that he never knew Daryl existed. He was seven years too late. And inside that regret was resentment. Because along with the physical resemblance, the name matched some of the hints his mom had dropped over the years. Which meant she hadn't just known who he was and intentionally denied him this thing he'd wanted more than anything. She'd been toying with him. What she said was that the last that she knew that he was at um, Menard uh, Prison in Illinois. And so I had that name Menard in my head um, and come to find out, you know, his name is Maynard. So she was being very clever, um, telling me something, but not telling me something. She was just sort of like seeding an idea or like putting a little clue. Yeah, absolutely. She knew what she was doing. That, I mean, I just, that seems so mean. Um... What was the one word I used to describe her? Yeah, angry. But but you didn't say mean. I mean, is is mean accurate? Um, I I think a I think mean is a color of anger. Just like finding a treasure. Discovering a long-lost parent can be as complicated as it is joyful. The first thing Daryl did was fly out and meet the family and learn about his dad. But Daryl had built up his dad so much, it's going to be very hard not to be disappointed by the real person, whoever he'd been. Even if his dad lived up to Daryl's expectations, that would just deepen the regret that he never knew him. That's my dad. <clears throat> That's when that's him when he's older. All you can do is try and live in the moments of joy. So in our hotel room, just outside Yellowstone, Daryl's telling me about his dad. 
showing me just how close to the tree the apple actually fell. So that same picture is... They look like brothers. And because fashion repeats itself, Daryl has a picture of him and a picture of his dad. At the same age, both getting ready for a night out on the town, wearing basically the same shirt. <laughs> we didn't know each other. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You like you like the same shirt, the same <laughs> flared collar, like it's it's, it's, it's 1980s Miami Vice. Yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. this was like late 90s, yeah. you know, early maybe 2000. Yeah. But 98, and that was just the first of a bunch of fun coincidences. So that's him when he was a sheriff. Uh-huh. This was picture was taken like six months before he died. Wow. Just like Daryl, his father's first career had been in law enforcement. Just like Daryl, he'd gotten into law enforcement by joining the army. They'd even gone through basic training at the same facility. Just like Daryl, he'd gotten out of policing and moved on to other things. Unlike Daryl, according to his cousin, Mark Porch, Maynard had conquered all those other things. Maynard was an innovator and creative genius. And I just don't say that lightly. Um, people can use words like genius and just talented um, out of context. But um, he, he was a lifelong entrepreneur. In addition to being a visionary, Mark says, he was tireless. My uncle worked every day. I never saw a day when my uncle did not work. Uh, rain, sleet, or snow, whatever his physical or mental conditions were, he would get up every day religiously going to work to make something happen for his family. The picture Mark painted of Daryl's father was daunting. Pillar of the community, force of personality, leader of men. Everything he did came back with returns. You know, he didn't he didn't just start businesses just to be starting businesses. He started businesses to be successful. So everything he started was a success. And my uncle was uh he was a man's man. You know, he was unapologetic. Um, he was never a victim, you know, regardless of the circumstances. You know, he always was accountable. So Daryl didn't have to worry about being disappointed by his dad. What he did start to worry about, the deep down fear of anyone with a successful father, was living up to his standard. So that's my dad. That's his dad. Oh, wow. He looks like Slick Willie, don't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he looks like he was in the movies. <laughs> um, and that's my brother. Daryl wasn't alone in having to live up to Maynard's example, though. Long-lost fathers often come with long-lost families. You know, I reached out to the family, and I went and saw them the next week, and... and um, well... There was a shock to all of us. They kept calling me, you know, hey, I think you got a brother out there. Like, what? Get out of here, you know? Oh, we didn't know Daryl, but you could tell Daryl's got the genes, you know? I drove up. He was standing outside the hotel. I got out of the car and looked at him. I was like, damn, you look more like him than I do. <laughs> His new family welcomed him in with open arms, just like Daryl had always imagined. But the thing about getting what you wish for is that it doesn't change who you are. First of all, this Cannon family is huge. I mean, huge. 
I couldn't remember the names. I mean, there's just, and there's kids and, and great nephews, and it's just, it just went on and on. And I was like, man, this is a lot of black people at once. <laughs> let's, let's slow this down a little bit because, you know, I've been living with white folks my whole life. So I didn't know if I was talking right. I didn't know if I was acting right. I, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a little much for me. And I really had that thought about, like, can we slow this down a little bit? Um, but, Eventually, it just became like, damn, this is this is pretty freaking awesome because I used to daydream about this, and now I was scared when I was in the moment. Um, but uh, what were you scared of? Um, I don't know, not measuring up. Um, uh, I don't know. Them looking at me is like, oh, who's this guy? Um, what does he want? Um, is he black enough? You know, cause, you know, in school, that's the, you know, are you black enough to have these black friends? Are you white enough to have these white friends? And so that was always a struggle. And so, um, I don't know, all those silly thoughts go through your head when, you, when you're in a situation like that. I don't care how old you are. But that anxiety was just the start of a rainbow of complicated feelings. Because the more he learned about the Cannon family the more it became clear that he hadn't just missed out on knowing his dad. He'd missed out on a whole childhood. When I was a child, man, that was baseball in the alley, hide-and-seek at night, everyone on porches, uh, cousins, just staying overnight. They'd stay at our house, they'd stay at other cousins' house. The argument, who's going to get them, you know, when? Um, One thing that we all got from our fathers and our mothers was love. Um, We watched them grow up loving each other. Um, As sisters and brothers, there was nothing that they would not do for each other. So just growing up, it was always love. It was always togetherness. And we were always family. In addition to feeling like he'd missed out, as he got to know everyone, it seemed like every Cannon had their thing that made them special. Wayne Cannon runs the Peoria Food Bank, serving families in need and the homeless. Sherry Cannon worked in local politics. Then there was Carl. Carl Cannon! We've been lying to him all day long. We've been telling him we've been making a little digital project. You're actually on a show on Facebook. Carl Cannon worked with at-risk youth and prison inmates re-entering society. And he's been recognized for his community service, not just by reality TV host Mike Rowe on Facebook Watch, but by pretty much everyone who gives out community service awards. These guys are doing freaking awesome things in the community. Um, Here I uh, have volunteered on Thanksgiving, you know, three or four years and at the gospel mission here and there, but nothing to the tune of what these these folks have, have done and are currently doing. As Daryl learned more about the family, he felt this pressure to do something special. And he responded to that pressure in a very predictable way. He decided the thing he could do, the thing that would set him apart, was to be the guy that found the Fen treasure. You know, anything that you do that sets you apart from the pack... I didn't get drafted by the Lakers, and uh, I didn't run for president, so that special 
trait has been this whole treasure thing, so that's what I went with. Can I can I show you what I'm looking at? Oh, absolutely. I I I want that. Okay. If Daryl needed to be the guy that found the Fen treasure, I actually thought I might be able to help. So after spending our first day searching Daryl's spot, we sat down and I told him what I'd learned. When Daryl and I had gone our separate ways, I'd stopped hunting. But I couldn't quite stop picking at the poem. So I went back to it, and the clues, and my interview with Forrest, and the internet. I read Journal of a Trapper by Osborne Russell, the frontier diary that calls the Lamar Valley a Garden of Eden, and which Fenn references in his memoir. Fenn also writes about going to that spot um, okay. on one of the, one of the like, through Yellowstone trips that he did with his buddy on horseback. Okay. Um, and he stops there, and he says, like, the view from here, from this place is, like, the view that I could look at for my whole life. Every so often, I'd read the clues, listen to my interview with Forrest, and scan the internet forums. I was trying to find the next link in the chain. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. We needed a blaze. Something significant in the landscape surrounding a creek that you can't paddle up and a bridge that had been destroyed by heavy loads and then high waters. This is honestly what's kept me interested in this hunt for the last three years in the back of my mind, just because it seems really hard to fit that piece of information to any other kind of thing. Like a creek coming exactly, like this is Crystal Creek, comes exactly to a bridge that's only ever collapsed twice, one from a heavy load, (laughs) one from water high. That's hard to, that's hard to not to look at and go, um, it needs attention. And for what felt like a random bridge and creek in the middle of Yellowstone, I found significantly more significance than I expected. The area around the Lamar River Bridge, including Crystal Creek, is the site of the Yellowstone Elk Trap. Giant fences funneling elk into a pen where the park could then manage the population of that species. The facility is still on old USGS maps from the 80s, and you can still see the scar from the corral in satellite photos. A white mark on the landscape where the grass was trampled so badly it still won't grow. And a scar on the landscape is kind of the definition of a blaze. There are also aspen groves up and down the hillside. Those are sometimes called a blaze of aspen because of the way their leaves shimmer in the sun. Or maybe we should have been focusing on an entirely different clue. The last two lines of the poem are, If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. Crystal Creek is one of the few places in Yellowstone where you find teepee rings, circles of rock that Native Americans use to anchor their teepees. Brave could refer to Native Americans in Fenn's vernacular. And in the wood, I learned, is to some people a darts term, meaning bullseye. Viewed from above, teepee rings look like a target, Maybe the treasure was in the bullseye, at the center, in the wood. But Fenn was always saying not to overcomplicate his poem. So maybe in the wood was more literal than that. Crystal Creek runs down Specimen Ridge, and Specimen Ridge is named for the petrified stumps, 
also known as fossil forests, that run along it. Fenn always talked about how his treasure hunt could last a thousand years. Petrified wood is a symbol of permanence. Maybe the treasure had been tucked in a hollow of one of those trees. Maybe that was in the wood. I don't know. My my favorite thing so far is just the petrified tree trunks. Back in the park, back on the hunt. For the first time, I felt like there was a preponderance of evidence that we were zeroing in on the right spot. Daryl, on the other hand, had already found the thing he'd been looking for the longest. In some small way, he could relax about finding Fen's treasure. And with that calm, for the first time, came a little bit of perspective on everything he'd been through. I think we're not living if, if you don't have a passion for something to get done that's outside your comfort zone, that maybe something outside your knowledge base. I think that's where life begins. Uh-huh. So I think a lot of it's that. Um, if I didn't be doing this, I, I wonder, I, I really wonder, what would I be doing? Would I be doing the stupid stuff that I was doing before this? You know, going out and chasing the wrong woman every weekend and um, not seeing the beauty that we've enjoyed many times. <clears throat> uh-huh. And even through all the craziness, it's definitely been worth it. So I'm proud of, you know, that I have stepped out my comfort zone, even though I nearly died and got arrested and <laughs> financially ruined yourself. Financially ruined myself and, and you know, I guess, as odd as that sound, I was living. I just wasn't waking up, going to work, coming home, and slowly dying. To me, that's, that's death. Along with this newfound perspective on the hunt, Daryl was moving better and looked healthier. As you can see, I'm in way better shape than I was last time. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that happen? I'm still second wind, but but not even close to the yeah same degree. Absolutely. He's more fit. He looks happier. He's got a bear bell and the right socks and boots. He even shows me stuff like where the wolf dens are, which way the grizzlies would be coming from. He knows this area so well. He's seeing things the rest of us wouldn't see. This is where the um, elk hide and the bison hide their new newborns. Oh, in the brush like this, the taller brush? Yeah. Sort of hides them. Remember, this was a guy who, last time I saw him, was in every way his own worst enemy, every time he went outside. But spend three years in the same valley, and you learn some things. Because what they'll do is, uh, the buffalo babies will try to run to no avail. They can't outrun a bear. But the elk babies will just sit there and so Daryl was a competent outdoorsman. I thought we were close to the treasure. But even if we'd basically traded places, we both still had to hike up Specimen Ridge. Oh, I see a sign up here. Like a trail sign or something. Does it say Forest Fen's treasure? You give me the binoculars, I'll check. And after hiking it, Daryl thinks Specimen Ridge is too far away to make sense with the clues and too vertical for an 80-year-old to have hiked it twice in a day to place the chest. And by the next morning, I was inclined to agree. So, 
the more that I think about it, actually, the more I think you're maybe right about the elevation and, like, Fenn didn't go up so high. Just because, well, there's two reasons. One, like, that was actually pretty hard yeah. to get up there. Well, for one of us. I, no, I mean, it was, it was hard for me, too. It just didn't whine about it so much as you. Know. <laughs> about time you got me back. <laughs> oh, good lord, that's funny. Um, but two, like, so I was, re- I was rereading the poem last night after you fell asleep fully clothed <laughs> at 7.30 at night. <laughs> He's on a roll, ladies and gentlemen. He's on a roll. Um, with the lights on and the TV on. Uh, and slept all the way until 8 o'clock this morning, pretty much. Anyway, so so I was, re- I was rereading. And if you take, like, you know, the first four clues and then you go at the bridge. It seemed like the rest of the poem was funneling us here, to where the Lamar River Bridge crossed Crystal Creek and the Specimen Ridge Trailhead where Forrest Fenn could have parked his car and then walked in any direction to hide the treasure. And wherever he went, that was the spot where Fenn originally planned to die and cement his legacy as a finder and hider of treasure. So it seemed like he would want that location to be memorable and specific to him. And that was an idea you could match to the landscape. Because if you follow Crystal Creek up the hill, away from the Lamar River Bridge, about a third of a mile, there are a couple of groups of trees. And under those trees, the creek spreads out and forms a marsh. This is a pretty rare thing for a creek to do. But when it does, and when it's under trees or in the wood, when all that happens in the same place, it's called a forested fen. This, like if I'm going to lay down and die... Yeah. I want to look at this. <laughs> this is your last, yeah, this is your last view. You, yeah. you want to see. If this was the spot Forrest Fenn was trying to bring people, again, well done. This looks a lot like September and August. Thing is, there still isn't actually any real evidence that it was. There's nothing about Forrest's name or a forested Fenn in the poem. I was just making connections to a poem with endless connections. Daryl still likes a lake nearby that looks like a drawing Fenn posted one time. I can't say for sure that he's wrong. We never even got to really search this spot, because where it had been sunny for days, the night before we showed up, this part of the park got snow. What do you say, how much snow is this? Two inches, three inches? Two, probably two and a half. Two, yeah. It's just enough to make a five inch tall box disappear. But, oh, so this is what I was talking about. With groundwater moving over, like not in a stream, but just like deep water, that's a fen. And this is a forest Absolutely. Um So, and it's an aspen grove. And... See, you're showing off now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we searched all day, but we couldn't search methodically enough to eliminate anything. We could have stepped right on it without knowing. The thing that, that burns is that we're close. Yeah. He even tells us we're close. Yeah. The treasure hunt was Daryl's way of living up to his dad's memory, of fitting in with his new family, and feeling like he deserves his good fortune. And those are things that don't happen all at once. 
the important thing was to be making progress, to be on the journey, even if it was a journey no one was asking you to make. What do you, what do you make of Daryl coming Man. into the family? And- Man, I'm going to start from his shoes up to his head. He's, she's, he's, he's sharp as a tack. You know, he's a very classy guy. He's cultured. He's educated. He's mannered. He's very handsome. He's a cannon. The only person who cared if Daryl found the treasure was Daryl. Yeah, all self-imposed. Um, they could care less about this treasure. Um, they took me in as if they knew me for, you know, my entire life. To be embraced as a member of the Cannon family was to have the door opened on real, unconditional love. But Daryl felt like he didn't deserve it, which meant he couldn't feel it. Not really. I guess I'm still wanting to find ways to, I don't know, make them proud of me, right? That's why Daryl has been wandering Yellowstone using an F carved into an aspen tree as an excuse to get back out there. Daryl felt like he needed to make his family proud. But even more than that, what he really needed was to feel proud of himself. And the act of searching, of going on a hunting trip, was a statement of belief in himself. Daryl and I never found the time to get back out to Yellowstone together. And then it was all over. Well, chase is over. Hidden treasure has been discovered in the Rocky Mountains. People have been searching for it for about a decade, but now the person who who hit it says it has been found. But so far, Forrest has been mum on the man's identity. Only saying he received a photo of the treasure and its location from that lucky man. Tom, there's still no word on who struck gold. Still so many questions. But now the entire mystery is shifted to who found it and how they solved all those clues. Missed Fortune is an Apple original podcast produced by High Five Content in association with 30 Minutes West and Outside Magazine. The show is written and hosted by me, Peter Frickwright, with writing, editing, composing, and sound design by Robbie Carver. Story editing by Michael May. Additional editing by Alex Ward and Tierra Darnell. Additional production by Ann Bailey. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Final Mix by Stephen Cray. Michael Derman is our line producer. Accounting by Matt Rock. Additional consulting from Gene McHale Waite. The executive producer for High Five Content is Andrew Jacobs. Executive producers for 30 Minutes West are Peter Frickwright and Robbie Carver. Thanks to Outside's editor-in-chief, Chris Kyes, and Michael Roberts, director of audio. Legal services provided by Chris Keen and Diana Palacios. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, leave us a review. We'll be back next week. <laughs>